Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became ill and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Thanks, Emily. Do keep your Bibles open if you've got them. We're going to be referring to that passage in Acts chapter 9. So Katie Davis uh, was a pretty typical all-American girl. She had a comfortable life, uh, a great future ahead of her. Uh, Yet she felt called to go and serve God in Uganda, in the northern part of Uganda. And she felt called to work particularly in a really impoverished area of northern Uganda. At 18, she left her family in America, much to their distress, travelled over to Uganda and initially started working in a kindergarten uh, there, looking after um, lots of children in this very poor school. And those children really captured her heart. She wanted to love them in the way that Jesus loved them. And lots of them came from families who who loved the children too. But she started to notice uh, there were various children that turned up at her kindergarten who really had nobody to look after them or they were living with a a dying grandparent or or auntie or uncle and had nobody to give them the love and the care that that they needed. Within a year of being in northern Uganda, Katie Davis had adopted eight, um, how many? 14 orphaned little girls. Uh, and that is where she still lives. She's in her mid-late 20s now. Uh, she has 14 children who live with her, who are now bigger girls. And every day, she opens up her home. And she feeds 400 children uh, from the area that she lives in, from the villages around her. And she also provides education and medical care for them. In her book uh, called Kisses uh, from Katie uh, that I read a couple of years ago, she describes how one day uh, she came across uh, a family of young, young children. Uh, she got to know them and she noticed that there was a rash uh, on all these children, these siblings. Uh, she went to see a nurse friend of hers and, and explained it. And uh, the nurse said, well, it sounds like it's scabies. And on, on looking at it, uh, they discovered it was indeed scabies. Now, in this country, we can treat it quite easily, and it doesn't become anything too major. 
But Katie found that with these children, uh, it's caused by a little mite that gets under the skin and it gets a bit bumpy. Uh, medical people are around are probably going, no, it doesn't, or it's not exactly right, but I'll describe it in the way I understand it. And then uh, it, can, it can cause an infection. And unless it's treated, it can become just like open wounds on the skin. And this is how Katie found this family uh, at this time. And she went to this family's house, and she found that these children were living uh, with their dying grandmother and their aunt. They didn't have uh, a mum or a a dad. And they lived in some of the most terrible living conditions Katie had ever seen. And she'd been there for a little while and seen a lot uh, of difficult places that people lived. They lived six miles from the nearest waterhole, and so often they'd just get the water, and they would reuse the water time and time again. And Katie researched how scabies needed to be treated, and it needed some special ointment, but also uh, for the children to be bathed twice a day in warm water. And the family could not provide this for the children, even though obviously they wanted uh, them to get better. And so Katie offered to take the children into her home just for a short period of time to give them the treatment, the love, the care, the attention uh, that they needed. And so she temporarily took six more children to add to her 14 into her house and she nursed them back to health. And she says this about it. Seeing six of God's children with clean, healthy skin and renewed laughter and energy made all the effort more than worthwhile. This was one of the many incidences where the Lord has shown me that the more I give of myself, the more he fills me up. The more I love, the more love I have to give. God was teaching me the same lessons he desires to teach every single one of his children. He chose to bring me to Uganda to do it, while others can learn right where they are. Katie Davis is simply somebody who lives differently. She lives in a way that serves her community, and by doing so, she's showing those people she lives with the radical nature of the love of Jesus. And it's a love that was demonstrated so perfectly on the cross when Jesus said yes. It's a costly and a sacrificial love, but one that brings transformation. And many of us here know that, don't we? Because we've experienced Jesus' love transform our lives. We could put Katie Davis alongside uh, people such as Mother Teresa or Florence Nightingale or Shane Claiborne or George Muller who started the orphanages in Bristol. People who have brought practical help to those in need in a way that shouts of the love that Jesus has for all humanity. Ordinary people whose lives tell of the extraordinary God we worship. And then there's Tabitha to add to the list. Now, Tabitha, we just heard in our reading, is introduced in Acts uh, chapter 9 by Luke. And she's not your traditional evangelist or preacher, but she's an evangelist all the same. Because like Katie Davis, her life shouts of the love of Jesus. In Acts 9, we read how the Apostle Peter has been traveling around uh, the country, encouraging the early church. He's been sharing his testimony of Christ, and people are really eager to hear it. And he's arrived in Lydda, where God had just used him to heal Aeneas, who was a paralytic. And then he gets to Joppa, which was 12 miles from Lydda. And here we read uh, there lived a disciple called Tabitha. And translated in the Greek, uh, her name is Dorcas, so we're going to call her Dorcas. 
And this is where we get the simple yet striking sentence which tells us so much of who Dorcas is. Luke writes this, Dorcas was always doing good and helping the poor. So much could have been said about this lady, but these are the words that have been used to encapsulate her identity forever in scripture. Dorcas was always doing good and helping the poor. It's the way that she lived that made the difference. And as you heard, we meet Dorcas in pretty tragic circumstances because she's actually just died. Um, But even in her death, we can learn much about who she is. She's died and her body has been washed and placed in an upstairs room. And Incidentally, the fact that she wasn't buried immediately indicates something about what these early Christians thought was going to happen, Uh, because normally a body would have been buried immediately, but the fact that they put it in an upstairs room is perhaps indicating that they anticipated that Peter might come and do something, or that God might return, Jesus might return uh, and raise her from the dead. When Peter arrives at the house that the local Christians in Joppa have taken him to, uh, we discover more of why Dorcas has made uh, such an impact on this community, why they're so keen that Peter come and help them. We find that as Peter enters the upstairs room, there are widows stood around crying, uh, and this in itself wouldn't have been abnormal at all. But then Luke records that they are keen to show him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas has made while she was still with them. You see, Dorcas has taken her religious duty to care for the widow and orphan seriously. Since the time of Moses, uh, this has been the command of God to look after the widow and the orphan. We read about it in Exodus 22. There's instructions on how you're to treat a widow and an orphan. And right through the teaching of the prophets and then the way that Jesus taught and lived, widows have been on God's agenda. And Dorcas appears to be a faithful follower of Jesus. The lady she saw begging on the street every day or the lady she met at the well. She knew that these people were widows, women who had nobody to look after them. There was no social care, no one to give them money, to buy clothes or food. And these women would have been living hand to mouth. Being a widow without a male heir to look after and protect you was not a great place to be in that time. And these women would have spent their time simply trying to survive. And Dorcas saw them, not as inconveniences, not as burdens, but as people people valued and loved by God, to be treated with and given respect. And her skillful fingers had spoken a thousand words about the love that Jesus has for the poor as she sewed these women clothes that they wouldn't have been able to have in any other way. Love caused Dorcas to act with practical care and kindness. Dorcas lived differently and she loved differently. And this love had a profound difference, made a profound difference to the widow's lives. And so Peter enters into this room where Dorcas, this faithful follower of Jesus, who would simply serve the poor of her community, is lying dead. And now we see Peter mirror 
what he's seen Jesus done, Jesus do at the raising of Jairus' daughter before recorded in John 11. He sends the women and the other disciples out of the room. He gets on his knees beside the bed and he prays. And then turning to the dead woman, he says, Tabitha, Dorcas, get up. And as Luke records, she opens her eyes and seeing Peter, got up. Now, can you imagine the scene a moment later? She probably just like shook herself down a little bit, uh, said, whoa, I'm alive again. And, and as the door opens and the widows who moments before in their grief are showing Peter these garments that Dorcas had made for them and the disciples from the local church who'd sent for, people, uh, for, for Peter uh, to Dorcas's house are now confronted with, the, with her risen from the dead. Imagine the shock and the celebration and the joy that this incredible member of their Christian community is back with them. Once the widows and the other Christians see what's happened, you know, the jungle drums around uh, Joppa start banging, and soon we read that everybody has heard about what's happened, and we discover that many people come to know the Lord. The miracle doesn't happen for the sake of it, but one transformed life brings another and another and another. But let's think for a moment a little more about this ordinary woman who loved and lived differently. In of itself, sewing clothes, charitable work, giving money to good causes, does not bring God's favor or our salvation. We know that only accepting that Jesus died and rose again Uh, to bring you new life will do that. But these acts of service, these acts of love done by Dorcas and many others like her flow from the love and the grace and acceptance that we found in Jesus. And they speak a thousand words of the love and the value that Jesus places on each person in our world. Someone once said this, that Jesus claims our hearts before he claims our talents. And isn't that true? He wants your heart, not your ability to do this or that. He wants you, and he wants the person out there's heart. Dorcas's heart had been claimed by Jesus. She loved not because she'd been told to by somebody in her little Christian community, or because people expected her to, to help out in some way, but she loved because she knew that Christ first loved her. She'd come to know Jesus. She was part of this community of first Christians in Joppa and the overflow of the love that she'd experienced from Jesus was to love others in a really practical way through kindness and serving and sowing. It's pretty simple really, isn't it? She loved God, she loved Jesus and she loved people. And so the way that she lived differently was the outpouring of her faith. It leaves us with a question, what does the overflow of Jesus' love look like in your life and in my life? It'll look different for all of us. Some of us will be really gifted in just sharing our faith uh, through words, telling others, opening up conversations, because we want them to know the love that we found in Jesus. Others will want to share the love that we found in Jesus by giving of the wealth that we have. For some, it'll be by serving in church in some way, by leading others in worship. And for others, 
It'll be through simple acts of service like Dorcas. One of the things that I find most striking and powerful about people like Katie Davis and Dorcas and many others like them is the way that they live differently. They live selflessly and courageously with God first and themselves second. They live out Jesus' love. And I honestly wish I could be more like that. And it's what makes people stop, isn't it, and ask, what is it? Why are you like this? So do you and I live in such a way that speaks, that shouts of the love that we found in Jesus? Or actually, is there no difference between yours and my life and the person next door who doesn't know this love of Jesus? And I find this a real challenge for me personally. What does it look like to really demonstrate Jesus' love? I can make excuse after excuse. I can serve out of guilt or duty, or I can serve others as an outpouring of the love that I've experienced from Jesus myself. We might have a tendency, too, to classify or rank for forms of evangelism. You know, the, the big preachers are the top band, the A grade. People who leave, lead on a table at Alpha or band B. People who, who, you know, always have the answer when their friends ask questions are band C. And people who do the little acts of service, they're band D. But it's clear in the Gospels that we shouldn't belittle the little the little things that we can all do to start to point people to Jesus are so important in the kingdom of God. Making a meal for someone, somebody you know has had a baby or is having a tough time or is ill, pulling somebody's bin back on their drive, inviting somebody around to your house and sharing food with you, offering to help with a bit of babysitting or something, clearing out your coats and bringing them down to soul food on a Saturday, standing at the door of church and welcoming people. Or maybe you're cleaning your stairwell. It's got a bit rubbish. There's a whole load of junk mail by the door, stacking up, chucking it away. Or maybe giving some flowers to a neighbor, those random acts of kindness. Or maybe this week being the one who just brings some peace and some hope and some kindness to your workplace or your family, uh, to those who are divided over this EU referendum. Gestures that can speak a thousand words of Jesus' love and Jesus' grace and Jesus' hope. Dorcas's kindness and desire to serve sprang from her love for Jesus. It was from her saved soul that her desire to serve came. One commentator says that she preached with her fingers. I love that. She didn't need to use words. She preached with her fingers. And as she acted with kindness and generosity, the love and compassion were seen. So much so that the widow gathered in the upper room are saying, look, come and see. This is no ordinary woman. Look at what she's done for us. She's recognized and provided for our need. She's saved us from the rejection and isolation that we face. She's given us hope. And Jesus lived this out time and time again. Uh, when he demonstrates compassion to those on the edge, he gave people hope and he gave people life and a future. He frees the demon-possessed. He heals that bleeding woman. He welcomes the sinner. He washed the disciples' feet. He eats with the tax collector. He has compassion on the prostitute. He restores the sight of the blind. He suffered and died for the broken sinner. 
and he commands us to go and do likewise. And he says to his followers this in Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Notice the motivation here. We serve, we love, so that our good deeds may glorify your Father in heaven. For so long, people have thought that being a Christian has just meant being kind and being loving and being Christian. But Jesus' command in Matthew 5 reminds us that our good deeds are there simply to glorify our Father in heaven. Our good deeds show who Jesus is. And we need to take responsibility to help people join up those dots. When they ask, why do you or your church or this organization help the weak or the poor or the oppressed? We need to courageously take that opportunity to explain that it's because uh, we know that Jesus loved them. And if Jesus was here, he would do the same. If he was here physically, he would do the same. We need to courageously take that opportunity to explain and I find this really hard. And I'm a professional Christian. It's true, I am. <laughs> I'm not sure. You know, I have this feeling, what are people going to say? What are they going to do? What's their reaction going to be to me? Will they understand? Will they think I'm a complete nutter? And, and I want to be accepted. I don't want to be seen as a nutter. Uh, will they just ignore me and turn their backs? And maybe the challenge for you and for me is to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to grasp those joining up the dots moments for people. Mother Teresa always gave curious seekers the invitation to come and see, come and see what Jesus' style love looks like. Shane Claiborne, who was here in our church not that long ago, uh, in his brilliant book, uh, I know many of you have read it, The Irresistible Revolution, says that if someone asked him to introduce them to Jesus, he would say, come and see. Let me show you Jesus with skin on. And he'd show them the multitude of ways that the community he lives within uh, are living out practically uh, the love of Jesus in his community in Philadelphia. Words about Jesus, love and grace and salvation are brilliant. But combined with real life experience of that love, that's what brings transformation. And that's what we are doing through practical service, we're inviting people, as James reminded us last week, if you were here, to come and see. Come and see and experience Jesus' love for yourself. I was reading this week about the Cinnamon Faith Action Audit, uh, which was done in 2015. And it shows that time given in community projects by Christians is valued in the UK at £3 billion. They found that the faith sector annually delivers an incredible 220,000 social action projects by approximately 125,000 paid staff and 1,910,500 volunteers. And it's commonly known, isn't it, by everybody, by the government, by politicians, that social care in the UK is underpinned by the church, serving through job clubs and children's work and youth work and adoption and fostering, by people helping others out of debt or running food banks or helping uh, those who found themselves to be homeless through community transformation projects. There are millions of people out there who do not yet know Jesus as their saviour. But they see his love in action. 
They see our values. They recognize there is something good or wholesome or kind or community giving or life building or helpful or accepting. But they might just need you and me to help them join at the dots. So in some small, or maybe for some of us here today, some big way, if we're followers of Jesus, we're called to join in with what God is doing. And that might be through some small act of service, which may speak a thousand words of Jesus' love, or maybe by using words themselves. But whichever, whichever which way, do we want people to say about us, it's the way that you live, it's the way that you love, that's different. It made me come and see. I just want to end with a prayer uh, written by Katie Davis, who I spoke about earlier. So let's pray. Lord, may we choose you every moment of every day. We want to fully commit to you. We want every day to become a day we say yes to you. We repent for lukewarmness, from mediocrity, from normalcy. We want to shine so brightly for you that others can't help but see and feel your love. Let us look at every encounter as an opportunity to share that love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you who sit so high would look low upon people like me and use us as a vessel for you. How blessed we are to be even called your servants, to be able to share in your kingdom and share your love with others. Thank you for the cross, where you have given us peace and holiness. Father, we long to say yes to you. Amen.